Hi, this is Jesse Lynn Stoner, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? I'm uh, Jesse Lynn Stoner. I am an author. I am a consultant, and I have been working in organizations uh, either as a leader or um, consulting with leaders for almost 30 years, helping them to identify a uh, shared vision that is embraced throughout the organization and the strategies to achieve it. Um, to in order dot 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 to create organizations where people can feel good about who they are, good about each other, and great about their results. And the new uh, the new book, or I should say, the new new book um, released by you and uh, Dr. Ken Blanchard is full steam ahead. Um, I want to get into a little bit of the, about the book, but first I want to talk about uh, you and Dr. Blanchard and how you guys got together and how you started working on this book and now the second edition of the book. Sure. Um, I've, I met Ken in the early 1980s when I was in a uh, doctoral program at the University of Massachusetts, and he was a professor there. And I had a teaching assistantship where I was, uh, we were working with graduate students in group dynamics and teaching specifically process consultation skills. And at that point, Ken had, although he had kept his faculty status, had just moved to California to start his company and was coming back once a year and would teach situational leadership over a, a long weekend, a four-day, um, uh, nine in the morning until 10 o'clock at night marathon course. And they would get 120 students. They'd do it off-site. And they would be grouped into groups of about eight to ten people, and the students in my course, the graduate students that were learning process consultation skills, this was their practicum. They would be process consultants to each of these groups that were in Ken's course. So it was a fabulous uh, course, you know, a, a course within a course, and just a tremendous amount of learning was occurring all the way around. And, and I got to know Ken through that process. and. Um, uh, his uh, uh, colleagues had also helped him start the company. One of them was my advisor on my doctoral committee. And so when I uh, finished in 1988, they were just taking off in the Teams area. They had um, uh, had just developed those materials. And in fact, they were. I, I actually ended up helping them um, create a lot of them. And um, they asked me to join. And so I was a uh, consultant with that company as it was growing for 20 years. And uh, so I, I've, I've been, I've known Ken for a long time. Uh, in 2000 and uh, maybe the, around 2000, my, my specialty is vision, vision and leadership. That's what my doctoral research was on. And um, I, in around 2000, Ken left me a voicemail message and said, Jesse, um, what do you think about writing a book on vision? And um, I do a lot of writing, but it's really in support of the work I'm doing, uh, con consulting with leaders or helping people with change processes and programs and implementing them. Uh, and I had never uh, written a book and, and uh, 
the thought of it was a little daunting. It took me about two months to answer him. And um, during that two months, I really thought about it. I didn't want to just say, sure. I wanted to know I was actually going to be able to do it. And, and I had, had the content, um, but I just wasn't sure about writing a book. And then the more I thought about it, it became clear to me that I could touch a lot more people through the book than I could just um, through the work, the way I was doing it. And the value that I, I bring forward that I can offer to people is a methodology and a process to create a vision, not only for a team, but for at, at an individual level as well. And when somebody has a vision, it's great. Then we just talk about, well, how can we communicate it and how can we implement it? But quite often what happens is people say, gee, I wish I had a vision, but I don't know how to get one. And actually understanding the three elements that um, I have pulled together through the work that I've done over the years has um, is something that most people don't know about, don't understand. Um, I don't know anybody else that's written about it besides me, and it works. And so um, it was an opportunity to bring that forward for people. It, it works, and it works well. Uh, uh, for those of you that, uh, I guess, have been living under a rock and don't know, the, the original copy of uh, Full Steam Ahead, the original version was released in 2003, uh, and the demand has been so good and so positive, uh, the reaction has been so positive, this is now a re-release that includes, I love, there's a, a summary at the end that sort of, now that you have this great story that teaches, let's have the, the summary of how do you go about applying this work and, and doing it. But let's, let's talk a little bit about, before we get into the flow of the book and all of that, let's just talk about vision for a second. And what, what is vision or what, what's the definition you guys use uh, and why does it matter so much? Well, definition of vision, I, and, and that's a great question, David. I'm glad you asked it um, because it, so many people just throw the word vision around and it means so many different things to different people. Uh, a lot of people think a vision is a picture of the end result. You know, and they'll use the Apollo Moon pod Project as an example of a vision. And it is very powerful to have a picture of the end result. I mean, we can, you know, look at what happened as a result of articulating that uh, they were able to overcome uh, seemingly insurmountable obstacles. They hadn't even invented the technology at the time that Kennedy articulated that. But it wasn't a vision. Um, it, it had one of the components of a vision, but it wasn't something that was enduring and guided them on an ongoing basis going forward. Um, it ended. Uh, NASA has never uh, marshaled itself in to that level since. Um, and, and we can contrast that with a, an enduring vision that con continues to guide people beyond the lifetime of the person who articulated it. You know, we could look at somebody like Martin Luther King and, and his vision is something that he articulated the hopes and dreams of uh, a large number of people and, and how that vision continues to guide people in the various forms over the years uh, ha has been um, very remarkable. Uh, and or we can even look at something like at someone like Herb Kelleher with uh, Southwest Airlines, who started in airlines that he wanted to um, be accessible to people and and affordable and and fun and and he's not the chairman anymore and uh, and yet that if you've flown on Southwest lately, um, somebody was just telling me a story that uh, um, the uh, stewarded. Uh, 
um, gave an announcement when the plane was taking off. Um, we're we're tired. It's the end of the day. So I think what we're going to do is we don't really feel like passing out the peanuts. We're just going to put them on the floor, and then as the plane takes off, they'll roll down the aisle, and you guys can help yourselves. <laughs> and people just you know just had so much fun passing that around, and that is so consistent with the original intention of uh, of her Kelleher who. Uh, had the vision for that airline in the first place. So um, a, a vision is something that is enduring. And so one component of a vision is a picture of the end result. But the the other parts of a compelling vision, and this is where it's really important, is to also to understand why you're doing it, what, what's the reason. So to make travel affordable, that that's that's a reason that's a purpose for it or to bring people together for unity and and for the um the Apollo moon project to put a man on the moon why you know we need to there was there was no um purpose that was articulated so that the purpose either needs to be so implicit that it's actually understood or explicit in it and then the other part that's it, important in order to make it actually happen is what are the guidelines for moving it forward, which are the values and that are going to guide your decision making. And we can look at Johnson and Johnson, you know, with the Tylenol tampering incident and how that guided them so they could make quick decisions that were consistent with who they were. Or we can look at um the the news networks. Um the, uh, at CNN because they, their values are uh, it's not entertainment, it's high standards of journalism so that they can make quick decisions to make you know, responsible and reliable news decisions. Uh, or in Disney, too, um, they know what their values are is um, you know, safety in the parks, number one. So um, unless you've articulated very clearly and they're totally understood and embraced throughout the team, and I'll say team, it doesn't even have to be company-wide because you can look at any single team, and it, this is true for them also, that if, if the members of that team hold all three of these elements in their hearts and in their minds, then they will be able to act together in concert to produce fantastic results. So, so David, the definition of vision um, that we uh, use in the book is that vision is knowing who you are, where you're going, and what will guide your journey. Who you are is your purpose, where you're going is the picture of the future, and what will guide your journey are your values. I, I really love the basically the three questions. I think it's a, a, such a nice core way to get at the heart of what that vision is about. You know, the, the first encounter I had with a vision that I could sort of get my head around, what are the components of it, was Collins and Porus and their Built to Last model. But at the same time, they had four components, and they had definitions for each of the four components. It was very um, uh, needlessly technical, in a sense. And so I love that it boils down to those three questions, because on some level, I sometimes wonder if it's less about the leader developing a vision and casting it the way we traditionally sort of celebrate, and more about the leader looking into the organization or a need that the world has um, around those three questions and finding a way to give an answer that's clear and concise and answers those three questions that everyone in the organization intrinsically kind of knew but didn't have words to unify each other, you know, to unify the the end goal with. Yeah, I, you know, John Nesbitt uh, used to say that um, leadership is finding a parade and getting in front of it. Yeah, it, no, it's, it's articulating the hopes and dreams of the people, uh, of what's already there. Now, it's... 
sometimes, and this is where, you know, and I agree with you 100% that um, this idea of the leader figuring it out and then bringing it back and trying to get everybody on board with it doesn't, I, I haven't seen it work too often, to be honest with you, unless you're starting a new company and then you're inviting your own people in. Um, that, uh, But sometimes there's so much confusion that it's hard to find it within the organization unless you actually engage the people in the organization in that conversation. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, I, so many times I work with organizations or even just talk to executives and it's, it's all about buy-in, buy-in, buy-in. How can I cast this vision and get my people to buy in? It's like, well, did did you ask them what they wanted the vision to be in the first place? Because right. a really easy way to get buy-in is to figure out what people are are going to buy. Yeah, the that's just so right. And and it was so interesting to me um, in the um, I'm trying to remember what year this was. It was it was probably a good 15 years ago. It was when. Um, uh, they uh, deregulated um, the telecommunications industry and the baby bells were going to become competitive. And the state of Connecticut had the smallest baby bell, small, uh, Southern New England Telephone, and it was the first state that was going to be open to competition. So they, uh, the officers of this uh, company, had spent months working with um, on their strategy and had put together um, a very thoughtful, strategic approach to how they were going to deal with competition. It was all planned out. That they were all the, the organization had been uh, identified. That the leaders were ready to go, and the CEO, um, God bless him, said, um, you know. I know we're ready to go, but and we're right on the cusp of this happening, but I want to take a day out with the officers, and I just want us to look at the whole plan and what's happening with our people, and I want to ask the question is, if we follow on this path, are we likely to get where we want to go? And uh, and they asked me to come in to facilitate that process, which is why um, I'm familiar with it. I, I just was you know, facilitating it. I wasn't working with them at a content level. And... Uh, but what we did do was we collected a lot of information about the current state of and attitudes of the people in the organization and their skills, and um, they spent a day of reflection, and at the end of the day, the, the common consensus of this group of 25 very bright people was um, the competition was going to come in and eat their lunch. <laughs> they were because they had gone off and created this wonderful plan and their 10,000 employees were not prepared to execute on it. Not only did they not understand it or know it, um, even if they did, they probably wouldn't, as you said, buy into it. And they were right on the edge of something really big happening and realizing that they were going to be in big trouble unless they dealt with it very quickly. And it, this, if they tried to do it as a big communication plan, it wasn't going to work. This is where I learned about um, the power of collaborative processes and of engaging people in real conversations in real time, making strategic decisions about the future of a company and trusting that your people understand the business and care enough about it that together you're going to figure out where you go, want to go a lot better than if you try to go off and do this in isolation. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to check out uh, Full Steam Ahead and, and read it. It's a quick story, and I, I actually want to throw that out to you. The why, um, beyond the fact that a lot of us are used to seeing Blanchard's name attached to the stories, I want to know what, what compelled you guys to originally write this 
as a story versus just a, another kind of textbook on vision development. You know, that, that's, a, that's, a great, um, that's a great question, David, because that is um, Ken's signature approach is that he writes stories. So, um, but most of his stories are, um, the basic theme is the um, wise mentor teaches the secret to the eager young student in one form or another. And uh, that doesn't work for vision because um, vision isn't something that's bestowed on people. It's uh, something that you discover and that you discover mutually. So the challenge was how, if we are going to tell this through a parable, and, and, I, and the power of stories are, are wonderful. I mean, storytelling is how information has been communicated for centuries before there was even the written word. So I, I, I do love the idea of a story, but the challenge was a, a simple, quick story that um, where the story itself was compatible with the, what, what the message of the book was. And so what we decided to do was um, to have two people uh, who were equals, not one who was, um, you know, knew more than the other, but in different worlds, uh, mutually discover together the, um, these principles. And, uh, and so what we did was we kind of, we knew what the principles were, you know, because that's just the basic concepts from the work you know, the work on vision, but how to translate it into a story, what we did was we outlined the basic story, and uh, but then one of us had to put pen to paper, so for the first draft, that was me. And I, I had this amazing experience, and, and I told you, I'm not a writer, so um, I, I just, I sat down at my computer, I was totally alone for an entire weekend, um, I there were no, everybody thought I was out of town because originally I was going to go out of town. And, um, uh, but as my husband and children were walking out the door to leave, I realized I didn't have to go anywhere. I could stay home. And I did. And for an entire weekend from like 7 o'clock Friday night until they came home like around 5 o'clock on Sunday, um, I lived with these two characters and I just um, watched a movie in my mind, and I wrote what I was watching. I said, oh, you know, she's tired. Uh, you know, she can't sleep. She's getting out of bed. And, oh, she's decided to go into work early, and then I kind of type it, and, oh, door's locked. Mm, wonder what she's going to do. Oh, she's try checking all the doors. So, oh, that one's open in the back. Uh, mm, smells coffee. That's good. And so I actually didn't make the story up. And, and, and it's interesting to me because I've gotten a lot of feedback from people that say, these feel like real people to me. And, um, and I, I'm delighted when I hear it. Uh, but I'm also not entirely surprised because it, it was the movie I was watching. <laughs> And I was and I was typing it up, and and that was really a wonderful magical experience. Um, the other thing is is that there's nothing in the story that isn't true, even though the characters themselves are not real. Um, everything, every single example is real. So the accounting department, the, the purpose of the accounting department is actually a purpose statement from an accounting department that I facilitated. Um, you know, the characters, you know, are not you know, the real people, but all these things actually happened. And even to the point where at one point the female lead does an Internet search, and so I just I went and did an Internet search because I wanted to see what I would find. Um, hmm. 
And so all the examples from her search are actually examples from the search I did. Um, and uh, the voicemail messages, the, the main character is not Ken, and the female character is not me, but Ken does leave a voicemail message every single morning, and those are his real voicemail messages that he leaves, transcriptions of them. So, um, you know, not, it's all, it, it's, it's a composite, uh, but, it's, but it is real in another way. Art, art really does mirror life, at least in, in the book. Yeah. <laughs> And I love that you um, that you guys did that. I mean, I've, I've, I'm a big fan of, of uh, Blanchard I, way back in the Sid Lead days, and also in the way that he uses the stories. I mean, I've read so many of them. And you're, I, at the same time, I love that for the purposes of this book, you, you broke with the mold of the expert, you know, the wise guru bestowing it upon the naive new manager or whatever. Because it, at the same time, I think it highlights that collaborative process that vision should be. You can't have a guru bestowing the vision to the newer person because that's not how it's supposed to happen in an organization. It's supposed right. to and be a how, collaborative process. How can you process. teach something if, if, the, if the book itself is, is you know, not in sync with what it is that you're trying to teach? Exactly. Exactly. And so I, I, um, I have enjoyed reading it for sure. I, I think it's, it's really interesting. And it's funny that you, you, I didn't have to ask the question, but you answered. I wondered if the, the, two, the two main characters were mirrors of, of, of you and Ken. And I... I don't see it too much, but I definitely see it in the. I've heard, you're not the first person I've I've heard tell me about Ken's voicemails. Ironically enough, uh-huh. so uh, <laughs> so I wondered when I started reading them in the yeah. book about those voicemails. But well, uh, I yeah, and to- it, it, it's not Ken's story because you know this guy inherited his business from his charismatic father, and he's not a charismatic person. So you know clearly this is not Ken. Um, right, but right. Um, the uh, it starts with an obituary. Uh, I, I mean a. Um, you know, the story, so I'm not going to, you know, it's not a story spoiler to say that, that it starts with a eulogy. And, um, in fact, that that's Ken's. I mean, he wrote that uh, and later goes on to explain, you know, why and how that got written. Um, and so I did use real people's, you know, examples in there. And so there is some of Ken in there. Um, the, and Ellie's uh, uh, vision statement also. I, I, I at one point had thought about borrowing a vision statement from a friend that I liked a lot, and then I realized that you know that, that just felt weird, so I just used my own. So, so, so there are elements of us in there, even though the story itself is not our story. Well, it does make for a great story and a great read. I want to shift focus a little bit into in to you. What are you reading right now? Oh, my gosh. Um, I just finished reading a fabulous book called The Portable Guide to Leading Organizations. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love you. I love you. You're the first guest that has ever said that. I love you. I'm looking at it right now. It's by a guy named David Burkus, and I highly recommend it. It is such a wonderful um, synthesis of the thinking around management over uh, the last uh 50 years and just really organizes it so nicely. If you want to get a really great overview of the field, get I really recommend getting a copy of this book. Um, so I can't. I just I have to say that because I'm looking at it right now while I'm talking to you. <laughs> and I, I want the record to show I did not put her up to that. <laughs> no. No. Oh, um, so um, besides that, I have um, I have a pile of books um, that you know, like I'm into the middle of it, probably about five different books, and the pile isn't here right now. Um, but um, one of them, let's see, is um, 
let's see, I'm reading a um, book by John Schuster that just came out. There's a, a lot of really wonderful authors with Barrett, from Barrett Kohler who um, published our book. And I just, I would recommend almost any book that they publish. They're very selective in the books they publish. They only publish maybe about 10 or 15 books a year. And they're, they're really good. Um, so I, I, I'm reading, yeah, I read, I read a lot of business books. But I also read a lot of um, uh, literature. I just finished reading um, Anne Lamott is one of my favorite uh, writers, and she has a new book out. Uh, I, I love um, her writing. Traveling Mercies was one of my favorite books, and um, this is a, a novel she, uh, that she wrote, which I, I really enjoyed. And um, I also um, read books on personal purpose and personal growth. And I I've, would highly recommend, it, uh, recommend people like A.H. Almas, A-L-M-A-A-S, is very good. And then, and then um, having, um, and my youngest is uh, 18, just graduated high school. Um, I, I'm just finishing the How Do You Get Through the Teenage Years books. <laughs> so, there's a, a very good book I'd recommend in uh, uh, in that area, also called, uh, it, it's an oldie, I used it with my older boy too, but then I, I found myself pulling it out called Yes, Your Teenager is Crazy, and I'll tell you, it really helps. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's also the first time we've had a parenting book recommendation uh, on the podcast, but that's that's awesome. And congratulations, you, you, if your youngest has turned 18, that means you also have graduated. Yes, um. yes, yes, yes. Although, you know, this uh, the, they call them the boomerang generation. You know about this? Like, you toss them out oh, yeah. and they come back again. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to tell you something, though, about parenting, David. Um, all this stuff applies to parenting. And, in fact, even in our book, um, we really look at how vision applies to families and um and the example of a family vision uh, was given to me by one of my clients. I didn't come up with that idea myself. I was talking uh, with one of my clients one day, and he said something about the vision that he created for his family, and he had been through this process with me. And I went, really? And he went, um, yeah. He said, we, uh, you know, we create a vision. I mean, he was thinking, of course I would know about this, and I, I had never thought of it, and he had just applied that on his own. I said, well, how old are your kids? And he said, well, we've got two daughters, and they're ages six and eight. And I said, and so you all sat down and did a vision together? He said, sure. We sat at the kitchen table, and we you know, talked about who we want to be as a family and what are our values. And we wrote it up, and we taped it on the refrigerator. And um, I, was, I, was, I love that. I was astounded that he had applied it in that way. And I, I love learning from my clients then, because they bring so much. And so I, uh, that's in the book. We put that idea in the book and that story in the book because it's real. And um, uh, the the lessons that we're learning in business um, are so true to our personal lives. And, and, and if we try to separate ourselves out and say, okay, I'm one person when I go to work and I'm another person when I go at home, we're, we're chopping ourselves up. Absolutely. And I think as, as we create those visions for organizations and for the original organization, which is, is the family, and I, so I think you're right in that regard. If the original organization is the family, it's, it's just as vital. As we do that, I, I really want to encourage people to check out Full Steam Ahead. It's, it's a quick read, but then it's, a, it's probably a reread, again, to make sure you get everything and really get the how of doing it. And it's worth 
uh, both reads, if not a, a third. So I want to encourage everybody to check out the, the new second edition of the international bestseller, Full Steam Ahead. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. David, thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation very much. 